episode 81. This is the Business Generals Podcast. We chat with amazing entrepreneurs every single week to help you maximize your startup business ideas, take control of your personal finances, and get the most out of your professional career. Subscribe to the show and check out businessgenerals.com for full show notes, free tools, and killer resources to help you on your journey to maximizing your business dreams. And now, your host, Davis Mutabwa. Hey, welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs every single week. If you haven't already done so, remember to click subscribe on your podcast player so that you do not miss a single episode. It's Davis Mutabwa here, your host, Extremely excited to bring you our future guest, Mr. Sean Cooper. Sean, welcome to the Business Generals podcast. It's my pleasure to join you, Davis. Thank you. I know you are dialing in at a very early hour over there in Canada, so I'm totally thankful for your time, mate. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, Sean made news headlines around the world when he paid off his mortgage at 30 years old on a house that he had bought just three years prior. It's an amazing story. Sean is also a personal finance and money coach, and he's also a best-selling author of Burn Your Mortgage, which you can check out at amazon.com. And he's also a personal finance blogger. Really, really excited to dig into Sean's story. Sean, uh, why don't you kick us off and let us know, you know, who is Sean outside your professional and business life? Sure. So uh, I was born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, and my family was middle class, so we weren't well off or anything like that, Um, but definitely taught me the money skills that I have today. And my parents instilled the importance of home ownership in me so that when I was 10 years old, ever since then, I always wanted to own a house. And um, basically, I worked towards that as soon as I got my first job early on. And, uh, you know, eventually I got three, four jobs and started saving towards a down payment even before I graduated from university. And then I bought my house at age 27 and uh, bought my mortgage at age 30. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Right, right, right. And outside of work and professional life, what sort of gets you going? Um, Well, I mean, I don't work 24-7. I definitely have some downtime. So when I'm not at work, I enjoy spending time with family and friends as well as uh, big fan of the outdoors so i like hiking and cycling and uh, also um, i believe it's important to have a healthy lifestyle if you want to live uh, to be uh, an old age so i definitely go to the gym and work out as well Mm -hmm. now you chose not to have a car during your your run uh paying off your mortgage and stuff like that so you're a cyclist fan uh or a fanatic of cycling or, or just that was just a lifestyle choice at the time I guess this is a combination of, of both. I actually have like a chapter dedicated to it in my book. But for most people, transportation is their second most costly expense after a mortgage or rent. So uh, I made a conscious decision not to purchase a vehicle. And with that extra money that I save by cycling as well as taking public transit, I was able to put that cash flow towards my mortgage and pay it off even sooner. Now, um, it certainly helps that I'm in a big city and the subway is a 10 minute walk from my house. But, you know, you can certainly try to live a car free lifestyle if you're 
in a big city uh, and live close to work, um, it, you could save yourself a ton of money and uh, like reach your savings goal sooner or pay off your mortgage sooner, similar to me. Mm. So if I dig in a little bit more into your story, Sean, um, at what point did you make a decision to start saving for your first property? Sure. So I always had the idea of owning a house ever since I was 10 years old. I guess some kids when they're younger want to become an astronaut or a firefighter, but I wanted to own a house. That was my dream as Cordy as it was. So Mm. I actually put my plan into action in university when I was working three, four jobs. Uh, It would work like three jobs part-time during the school year. And then in the summer, I would work full-time. So I was actually able to pay for the entire uh, semester's tuition uh, by working during the summertime and any extra money that I earned through working at a supermarket, working at the university, an administrative job, as well as writing. I put that extra money towards my down payment. So I was actually able to graduate debt-free with money in the bank already saving towards my down payment. So that's kind of when it all started. And then Mm -hmm. once I graduated, I worked full-time for three years and then saved like 80% of my money. And uh, that's how I was able to come up with a sizable down payment of 40% or $170,000. That is a huge amount. Now, what did you study? Did you say you studied finance? actually studied uh, business management. Uh, I'm very passionate about finance. I probably should have studied finance, but <laughs> you know, um, I guess taking business management, it kind of gives me like a well-rounded approach to business. And if I ever wanted to become a full-time entrepreneur, I understand, you know, the various aspects of like creating a business plan, like, um, you know, finance, of course, and uh, everything else, because I, I you know, it's, it's good to have a specialty, but if you want to start your own business, you definitely have to understand HR and marketing and all the other aspects of running a business. Mm, mm, totally. I love your story because obviously now, now you just shared how you started really early on in your adult life. You know, as soon as you went into college, you started working different types of um, jobs and, and already put your saving plan into motion. Now, saving $170,000, $175,000 over a couple of years, that is a big achievement in any in any case. Um, so, that that's huge. But I want to talk to somebody listening and they, you know, the age you were at when you started saving. And at that point, most people in high school or going into university are just thinking of, I want to save up for my first car when I get my license. I just got my license. So... Well, I know, I know you travel around speaking. And I'm sure you speak to young people. What's your advice to help them stay focused on the fact that, you know, you can do what I did, save up, buy your first home as soon as you start your, your working career? Well, first of all, you know, you have to ask yourself, does it make sense to own a home? And generally speaking, if you're not willing to stay put for five years or longer um, due to the closing costs of real estate, which is the land transfer tax, real estate lawyer fees, and so on. If you're not willing to stay put for five years or longer, it probably doesn't make sense to own a home. For example, if you'd go across the country or even go to another country for a different job opportunity, then you know you probably shouldn't be owning a house because it will kind of tie you down. So ask yourself that question first and if you are committed to staying put and putting down roots, then that's when it could make sense to own a house. But, you know, then you actually have to come up with a down payment, which is definitely the challenging part. So mm. I say, you know, work your way backwards, say, 
I want to own a house in, let's say, three years' time. How much of a down payment do I need to come up with? Like, how much would I have to spend on the house? And then, like, let's say you want to save a $40,000 down payment. Well, work your way backwards and figure out, well, how much money do I need to put away from each paycheck? And then basically figure out that amount. Let's say you had to put away, like, uh, $250 from each paycheck. Well, basically pay yourself first and have that money automatically go into your savings account. That way you're not tempted to spend it because, you know, um, if you're just going to save whatever money's left over in your bank account at the end of the month, then chances are there won't be any money left over. So (laughs) definitely, you know, make savings a priority and have that money automatically put away. And then it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, and you won't be tempted to spend it. You have just quickly stepped us through some amazing concepts that I just want to step back for a second and, and just walk those through very quickly for somebody who may have just had those fly over their, their faces or their heads. So you've said, start with the end in mind. How much money do I need to save up to get into that home or that house? That's a- after you've made a decision that you want to get into real estate for yourself or for investment or for your, for your own home. So let's work with, you know, $40,000. That's probably, maybe a 10% deposit on a $400,000 home or a 20% deposit on a $200,000 home, which were in my part of the world, you can't really get too much with $200,000. But let's go with that as an example. So let's say you allow yourself, I'm going to save up over the next sort of three to four years. That means you need to save up at least $10,000 every year, which, which is around $800, $900 every month. And then you stepped into a concept saying, pay yourself first and then automate that payment. So just expand on those two concepts because I love this concept, pay yourself first and automate. Why do we need to do that? Um, Because like I said, um, you know, human behavior is the biggest thing that stops us from saving. Like some people, you know, a lot of people when they have money sitting in their bank account, they're tempted to spend it because living in the cashless society that we live in where many people are using credit cards and mobile payments to spend stuff, it can be easy to let your spending kind of, uh, you know, spiral out of control and spend more money than you hope to. So why I like paying yourself first is that the money's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And as soon as you get that paycheck, the money automatically goes into your savings account. Even like some employers let you deposit the money into two bank accounts. You could automatically have the money deposited into your savings account right then and there. So, um, you know, that's why I'm a big fan of that because once the money's in your savings account, you kind of forget about it. And before you know it, you have a big enough nest egg to have that down payment that you were aiming towards. I love that. How how did you not spend that money on a holiday or, you know, maybe just draw five grand and go and buy yourself a a car, you know, if you get tired of cycling around or or whatever? Well, for me, um, like a big fan of goal setting and I basically had the end game in mind. And if I knew, I knew that if I did that, then I would have to put off my goal of owning a house. So, um, you know, I just thought about that. It was kind of at the back of my mind uh, every day when, uh, you know, I was tempted to go out to restaurants and go on trips and all that. And I just kind of thought to myself, if, you know, if I work hard for the next few years, I'll be able to own a house and then eventually pay it off sooner rather than later as well. And I saw it as short-term pain for long-term gain. And now that my house is paid off, um, I wasn't able to travel a lot during that time, but now I've taken three trips so far this year and I'm only 32 years old. So I have plenty of traveling ahead of me and I'm able to do that because I 
worked hard and buckled down for those few years and uh, I was able to buy a house and pay it off super quick. That's just amazing to hear that. Um, so, you're 32 and you've paid off uh, a house worth, well, well you paid $450,000 almost. Um, and that's just, that's huge. That's, you know, congratulations to you. Um, Thank you. You got the mortgage and you paid it off in three years, but how long do you say your saving program started? Because you saved up 175 before you got into the mortgage. So, that's part of the whole journey. So, how many years was that? I actually started saving while I was still in university and basically I saved for uh, a couple years in university and then I saved for three years while I was working full time and uh, I was living at home during that time and paying like $600 a month towards rent but all the extra money that I had would go towards saving for down payment and I actually wanted to own a house sooner but the Toronto real estate market is so competitive that it took me uh, like a good almost three years to buy a house at that point in time, but I had a decent down payment, a pretty big down payment of 40%. So, you know, it kind of worked out in the end. So, so I'm just trying to map the, the timeline. So, you, you probably spent about three years in university saving up and another three years after you've graduated. So, that's maybe six and then another three years just you paid it off. So, roughly about nine years all up, maybe? Yes, that's that's accurate. Right. Um, that's amazing, and then you're still only 32, which is which is huge. So, um, I get back to that point where you know the discipline that you had at the time, and the other thing you were doing is you were working more than one job, right? So, just talk to us about how much work you were doing uh, on the side and full time, etc., through those nine years. Sure. So, uh, when I was in university, uh, I was all about like side hustle and maximizing my time. So. I worked for the university in the MBA office. And on top of that, I also worked at a supermarket part-time on the weekends and actually worked in the meat department and vegetarian. So it goes to show how dedicated I was. Um, And I also started my freelance writing career back then. So uh, I started becoming a freelance writer in 2011 and decided to focus on personal finance because it was something that I was interested in and it was something I was studying in school. So during the summertime when I was in university, I was working full time. Um, I worked for like the government and their tax department during that time. So it was a great experience. And then once I graduated, I worked like uh, full time at the supermarket, like about eight months. And then because the financial crisis happened, it was back during 2008, 2009, and it was difficult to get a job back then. So mm. I just kind of buckled down and worked full time at the supermarket, even though I, you know, I was, I guess, underemployed because I had a <laughs> degree from business and uh, I yeah. didn't really want to be working at the supermarket, but at least I was saving money. And then I landed the job at the pension consulting firm in August 2010. And um, I've been there ever since. I've been there over seven years. So I just, uh, Save my money and I continued doing the writing stuff and um, my writing career really took off like one year I actually um, earned more from writing than I did from my full-time job. I'm not sure um, I'll reach that level again because it definitely required working a ton of hours. I was right. easily working over 100 hours a week. Um, so I'm not sure I'm willing to do that now that my house is paid off. But, you mm. know, I definitely earn a decent amount of money uh from the writing easily over $30,000 a year. Wonderful. That's amazing. I always ask my guests and um, I want to ask you now is what are your revenue sources at the moment? 
Sure. So my main revenue sources right now are writing, which I earn about 90, 95% of my income from. And um, the two newer ones are money coaching, which people, when my story came out about burning my mortgage, they wanted like help with, you know, how they could pay off debt and do the same thing. So that's taking off as well. Also a speaker. So I've done some speaking events uh, mm-hmm. this month in November. It's financial literacy month. So some of them are volunteer, but um, I actually get paid like a nominal fee for them. So I'm technically getting paid for them. So yeah. those are my three main revenue sources. I'm also thinking about like launching an online course because um, that's more scalable, but that's kind of uh, a plan in 2018. I haven't done it as of yet. Mm-hmm. And then with your pension consulting role, is that full-time hours at the moment? Yes, it's, I'm working full-time there. So I'm juggling all the other uh, side hustle in my uh, you know, downtime in the morning. Like usually before I go to work, I write for like an hour and a half. I wake up early, wow. then I go to work for and work like nine hours there and then get home and uh, do some more work before bed and and then on the weekends, I work as well. I usually put in another 10, 12 hours on the weekend. And then I find time to spend with family and friends in between. So, You're a machine, hey? So, that, that, that's, so it requires work ethic, doesn't it? Yes, definitely. Talk to me about the year where your, your writing generated a big amount of, of revenue because that's your, your side gig, if you like. And uh, I know there's a number of people who are listening who have gone through, like, you know, like yourself and myself, I'm doing that financial crisis. I was out of work for six months and uh, I couldn't find any work. And to get back into the workforce, I had to do some contracting work and things like that. So, you know, there's always somebody who might be listening who is literally going through that situation or they might be hearing rumors that, you know, their company's downsizing or something like that. So what did you do to, to accelerate yourself doing that year of writing that really blossomed for you? Has it just been a long tail of things and then it sort of compounded during that year? Exactly. Like, like I had to, of course, like make a name for myself and get started, like becoming a financial journalist. So, you know, I couldn't, land these lucrative jobs right off the bat. So like back in 2011, when I started doing this, I started volunteering for various financial blogs. Like the first blog that I wrote for was Million Dollar Journey and then started writing for like Rate Supermarket and another blog. And then that's where I really built a name for myself. And once I had a byline on well-known websites, I could apply for other jobs and, um, you know, land other great jobs like the month that I made the most income, I was writing like tax articles for like a right. income tax software blog. So I was able to make like, I remember like over $12,000 in one month. So that's kind of my record, wow. but I had to miss my family's holiday party. So I don't really want to uh, <laughs> do that again. Um, it probably wasn't a good idea, but yeah, I was just kind of uh, getting my name out there, building a name for myself. And I'm at the point where I have more than enough writing work. I have to turn down some jobs and I don't really apply for writing jobs anymore. I'm well known enough that people actually reach out to me all the time to do writing work for them. I love this, Sean, and thanks for sharing this. And I want to get a little bit deeper into this because I think a lot of people are out there with great expertise, whether it's in finance or homemaking or design or, you know, interior decorating, whatever industry, engineering, and they could become a writer for different magazines or different um platform. So 
um, I've never really gone into this topic before in this podcast, so I want to understand what are the, the things that somebody can do that you did back in 2011 that are still relevant if they wanted to get to maybe in three, four, five years time where they're generating you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year from writing. What have you done? Yeah, so definitely you have to have like a byline and get some sort of experience. So you can tell me what that. that means. Sure. So you could do it in a combination of two ways. I would recommend starting your own blog and just writing about subjects that you're passionate about or writing about like blog posts about what industry you'd like to write in. Like I have my own personal finance blog post on the side and I kind of use it for thought leadership um, because I have plenty of writing samples out there. So I just use it to write about stuff that I'm passionate about to get my mm-hmm. ideas out there. But I would definitely recommend starting your own because it gives um, companies an example of your work. And I'd also recommend volunteering your services for other blogs. And you might not get paid right away, but at least you'll build a name for yourself because when you apply for writing jobs, they want to see samples of your work. And if you don't have any samples to show them, then it's definitely hard to get other writing jobs. So once you build a name for yourself, you can kind of apply for the more lucrative writing jobs. And, um, you know, you can go from getting paid maybe like $50 an article up to like, you know, $500 an article, depending on what industry and who you're working for. So it's kind of like planting a seed for a tree, you know, it's just a seed at the beginning, but then it grows to be a big majestic tree. So it's kind of like that with writing, you kind of have to plant the seeds and uh, lay the foundation in order to have a successful writing career at the beginning. And, you know, once you get your name out there, uh, eventually, um, you know, uh, if you work hard, you'll land the more lucrative jobs later on. Wow. Okay. So for for you to generate a $2,000 month, how much writing does that take for you at the moment? Is that 10 articles or five or? It depends on the clients because like some clients pay me like $50 an article, which is kind of on the low end and some of them pay pay me like $500 an article, but I would say it's about 10 articles, uh, give or take. So that's a fair bit of writing. If you're going to generate new content just in, in four weeks, that's about two or three articles a, a week. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So where are you getting your content from? It's a combination of me pitching my own ideas as well as uh-huh. clients coming up with their own ideas. So, you know, they'll say, I want articles written on, you know, what to look for when you're looking for a mortgage or five factors to consider when you're looking for home insurance and then other clients that I work with, like I do some ghostwriting for a gentleman and in the finance industry is like a financial planner. So we have like a content calendar and I pitch him ideas for that. So, you know, those are the two general work arrangements that I have. And then, you know, once we have the content calendar mapped out, um, I just can, you know, write articles for the next month or so. Okay. That's really, really insightful. Thanks, thanks for sharing this. You've written a, your book, um, Burn Your Mortgage. Is that right? Have I got that title right? Yes. Yeah, Burn Your Mortgage. Why write a book and what has it done for you since you wrote it? Sure. So I didn't write a book to get rich because to be honest, like writing a book uh, is probably not one of the best ways to get rich. That's for sure. When my story came out, it got a lot of people talking and got coverage around the world. It even got coverage in... Australia. I was on like I was interviewed by like um, on Sunrise TV. I was interviewed oh, really? by uh, yeah um, a morning show there. So um, yeah. I remember doing that. So it got coverage even in the United Kingdom and uh, the U.S. and Canada as well. So it was great to have my 15 minutes of fame. But 
uh, I wanted to capitalize on that in order to, first of all, promote financial literacy and second of all, uh, make millennials feel like home ownership is an option because in mm. cities in Canada like Toronto and Vancouver and I guess cities that like Sydney and, and Melbourne in Australia, uh, yeah. the price of real estate is like so high. So, yeah. I mean, the trend mm. in Canada is a lot of millennials like feel like, oh, they have to give up traveling and everything that they love in order to own a house. So they're not willing to do it. But I just wanted to show, you know, if one person can buy a house and pay it off super quick, then it is still an option for millennials in order to, you know, buy a house if they're willing to set a goal and work hard in order to achieve it. They don't have to do the exact same thing as me, but it definitely is an option. So I just wanted millennials not to give up on owning a house because I definitely think it's a good long term investment. And the main reason that I wrote a book, as I mentioned, was financial literacy. But I definitely think it's good in terms of building your personal brand, because ever since writing the book, I've gotten more media interviews because I'm seen as more of a credible source. Um, Mm. I got some speaking gigs that I wouldn't have landed otherwise. Um, I got invited to a real estate roundtable event with some high-ranking government officials. So none of that would have happened if I hadn't have written the book. So, you know, it was definitely worth the brand equity and I've gotten money coaching clients out of it as well because they trust me more now that I've written a book and it's available at major bookstores here. Yeah. I know it's a tough thing. I've started writing a book and um, I, I've parked it. It's, it's, a, it's not an easy thing to do, is it? Um, so congratulations on, on going through with it. How, how was the process of writing the book, do you think? Sure. So, I, I mean, I can definitely tell you writing a book is not an easy process. It was a, a very long process. Like the actual writing part of the book probably took about three, four months. But then there was the editing of the book, which... Uh, worked with my editor because sometimes when you write a book yourself it makes sense to you but then when the editor writes it uh, I guess when once you have a second person's perspective they you know might be like well you forgot to mention XYZ and it might not make sense to the lay person out there so Mm. um, you know that takes about another three four months the like um, cop like the line editing as well as the substantive editing and then of course you can't just put a book out there and put it on the shelf at the bookstore and assume that it's going to sell. You actually have to generate some buzz around it. So marketing is so key. So with my book team, I came up with a marketing plan of, you know, I was going to generate some excitement and get the word out there. So my book actually came out March 1st, 2017. And Mm -hmm. my birthday was February 28th, the day before. So I was actually doing like media from 7am to like, 10 p.m. at night that day. Um, I mean, I kind of ended up missing my birthday, but who can say <laughs> that they, um, you know, went on kind of a media blitz on their uh, birthday. So, you know, um, I definitely think it was worth it in the end. It's always good. It's uh, like I've heard people who would have been like on, on Oprah and they didn't have anything to, to, you know, allow people to invest into that story through like a book or any other product, a course or whatever. So it's like, you know, you being on, on, on the Sunrise show here in Australia, that's a, that's a big show that a lot of people watch and uh, it's well syndicated even on, online. So um, I think the book gives you that m- more leverage because you want your story that resonates with somebody to, and that's that person being able to put their hands on or something tangible that they can then use regarding financial literacy. And uh, I was listening to you being interviewed on, on uh, Dave Ramsey's show and him um, just uh, explaining 
the sort of negative feedback that your story also received just because it goes against the standard mindset to say you cannot pay off a mortgage in three years time unless you're this or unless you know you you had an inheritance or something like that you know happen and you had to almost come out and prove yourself almost showing your bank account and say well i actually had to work three jobs and all these number of hours in order to do it so the financial literacy thing that you're that you're on about i think that's a great cause how did you handle that sort of moment well as you mentioned my story was very polarizing people either loved my story or they hated it there didn't seem to be any middle ground so um cbc which uh covered the story uh in Canada. It's kind of like BBC of Canada. So they covered my story and they actually wrote a follow-up story about, um, I guess, all the hate that it got online. Uh, It seemed that my story, like millennial parents were showing my story as an example of, you know, what their millennial children could accomplish if they were willing to work hard. But I guess the millennial uh, children weren't the biggest fan of, uh, you know, some of the things that they mentioned in, in the article. Like, I guess the media wanted to um, sensationalized my story and exaggerated some of the points. Like they made it out like I never went out for fun or didn't have any friends and mm. just lived in my house in the basement and <laughs> ate craft dinner like two, three times a day. And that certainly wasn't true. Like it's certainly not worth sacrificing your health, health in order to save money. So I definitely took it in strides and didn't take any of the negative comments. Personally, that's kind of why I went out and wrote a book because I just wanted to clarify some of the things that people wrote about me, like, you know, some of the, I guess, uh, misconceptions out there. And, um, you know, uh, I just wanted to break down exactly how I did it because, you know, you can't tell your whole story in a like two minute news segment and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, or in one article. So I just wanted to, I guess, clarify it for people and uh, just show that it is possible uh, to buy a house in a big city and pay it off quickly if you're, you know, willing to make certain sacrifices in your life. You know, not everyone has to do what I did, but if they're willing to make at least a a couple of sacrifices, then, you know, they certainly can own a house in in many cases. Yeah, and that's that's very inspirational. Um, I want to ask you also, you've been coaching some people who have come through to you as clients for your money coaching and personal finance um, through your blog, through your different interactions and through some of the courses that um, or the, the one-on-one coaching that you mentioned earlier. What did you take for granted during your process that was easy for you that maybe other people are struggling with and how are they breaking through that in terms of getting to their goal of paying off their house? Sure. So I work with um, clients from all different walks of life. People that like have ten thousand dollars in credit card debt, you know, people that want to um, start saving down payment towards a house, people that want to pay off their mortgage sooner. So they have all sorts of like goals that they want to achieve. So what I do is in my first like money coaching session, we sit down and kind of take a snapshot of their finances of where they currently are at. So I get them to fill out a budget as well as a net worth statement just to see, you know, what shape that their finances are in. And, you know, perhaps they might want to pay down their mortgage early, but they have like, you know, $5,000 worth of credit card debt. Well, it probably doesn't make sense to pay down your mortgage if the interest rate is 3%, but you're paying 20% of your credit card debt. So I kind of help them prioritize what's important in terms of their finances. Then Mm. I help them put an action plan 
into place. So similar to the goal that I mentioned earlier about saving a down payment, I kind of help them allocate some money towards savings and figure out how much money that they can afford to put away, um, put aside towards their mortgage or saving towards a down payment and automate those savings. Maybe they have an extra like uh, $200 a paycheck to put away and put towards their mortgage. And, you know, by automating that, um, you know, then that money's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, they'll pay off their mortgage sooner than 25 years if they stay committed to that. Right. So helping people just walk through, get a plan and become disciplined around that. That's really good. I've got a couple more questions for you as we bring this to a close. What did you do in terms of mentorship, you know, fueling your motivation during that process where, you know, you were making those decisions on not to splurge, but to keep on focused on your goal? So have you invested in mentors like other money coaches or other reading material that helped you during this period of, of you paying down your mortgage? Definitely. I mean, like I read many personal finance books uh, just to get a different perspective on, you know, spending and savings. So like personal favorite uh, of mine was The Wealthy Barber Returns by David Shelton. And um, for entrepreneurs out there, another good book was, is uh, Be the Better Broker by Dustin Woodhouse. And it's a mm. book that talks about if you want to become a mortgage broker, but it definitely um, applies to anyone that's thinking about being um, an entrepreneur. So I found those books very helpful. But to answer your question, I definitely uh, invested in mentors, like also uh, published authors, best-selling authors. So um, like my friend Leslie Ann Scorgi was on Oprah when she was younger because she was so good at saving money and that kind of launched her whole business. And she mm-hmm. wrote the book Rich by 30. So she's been a great mentor to me and she was nice enough to endorse my book. And, you know, we are in touch every month or two and just kind of touch base uh, about how our businesses are doing and bounce ideas off each other. So that's helpful. And then I have... Another mentor of mine is Bruce Celery. Uh, he's written the book, Moolala's Guide to Rocking Your RSPs. And he's been a great mentor. He even volunteered to help me um, do some book trailer videos like when my book came out. And uh, he helped pitch me to the radio to get on the radio. And uh, so I definitely am appreciative of my mentors. And I try to give back whenever possible because, you know, I don't feel good just asking for favors all the time. I want it to be, you know, a give and take relationship yeah now that's good I, I always love to hear how mentors have impacted people's lives because i think um that's a great great place for us to learn and to grow from now sean what is the best way for people to connect with you sure so i have a website and blog that i discuss personal finance as well as real estate and mortgages it's sean cooper writer.com that's s-e-a-n-c O-O-P-E-R writer.com. So you can visit my blog there and sign up for the newsletter. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Sean Cooper Wright. That's, it doesn't have an R at the end just because of Twitter's character limitations. And um, also you can find my book on amazon.com. So um, And I'm on uh, LinkedIn as well if you'd like to add me on there. Wonderful. So we can catch Sean at LinkedIn, on Twitter, Amazon.com for the book, and SeanCooperWriter.com. Did I get that right? Yes, correct. Great. And we'll link all of this up in the show notes. Uh, You can go to businessgenerals.com forward slash Sean C. That's businessgenerals.com forward slash Sean C. 
and we will link everything up there that um, we have discussed, including um, access to Sean's book on Amazon. Sean, I, I have one more question for you, but before I ask that question, I, I just want to thank you and appreciate you for actually you know, getting up so early. So for those of us who are listening in, Sean is up at half past five in the morning just so that he could drop a few words of wisdom to inspire you that um, you know you can reach your goals around your property investment or your any other goals that you have financially or otherwise. So appreciate your time, mate. Um, I have one question for you. Do you think about legacy when all is said and done? And if you do, um, what sort of legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for? And tell us why. Yes, definitely. Um, I, that's the main reason why I wrote a book and why I write these personal finance articles. Because for me, um, finance is very personal. The main reason that you know it's so important to me and why I want other people to be financially literate is because the main reason for divorce these days is money. And I saw that firsthand happened with my mother and father money mm-hmm. was one of like the main reasons that they ended up getting divorced and it kind of tore the family apart so for me you know i don't want to see that happen to other families so i definitely think financial literacy is important and that's kind of a cause that i've been championing and um you know that's why i'm happy to go out there and volunteer and speak about it and help promote it so that that doesn't happen to other families and for me also as i mentioned earlier when you read the newspaper or read online these days it's mostly talking about how expensive housing is and a lot of millennials feel like the dream of home ownership is out of reach and you know um they will never be able to afford to own a house so i just wanted to show them that home ownership is still an option and a good long-term investment. So, you know, I don't want millennials to be a generation of uh, people who give up on owning a house. Uh, You know, I I certainly uh, think that owning a house makes sense in uh, many cases. Um, You know, I just want to show them that is still possible. So, you know, in terms of leaving legacy, uh, financial literacy, as well as, you know, helping uh, millennials and other people with their finances, uh, that's the legacy that I'd like to leave. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciated that. I think that was that was really insightful and um, really personal about you know your family and how it's impacted you and and other people around the world around finances and uh, and breaking up of families. So so appreciate that and wish you well in all the work that you're doing. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me and hanging out with me and Sean Cooper. I hope you enjoyed that show. If you did enjoy it, uh, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, But more importantly, I hope you got your hopes up that you are good enough to chase your dreams. And uh, if one of those dreams is paying off your mortgage, paying off your house in record time, then you've got that inspiration and you've got a book that you can go and access on Amazon or SeanCooperWriter.com to grab and follow through on your savings plan and your accelerated mortgage repayment. Sean, thank you so much for being on the Business Generals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. We're absolutely grateful. You are a true business general. Well, my pleasure, Davis. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Business Generals podcast. Connect with us at businessgenerals.com and grab the full show notes and access a ton of free resources. Subscribe to the Business Generals podcast so that you do not miss an episode and help us reach more people by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. We look forward to your company on our next episode 
Until then, remember that you are a true business general. The Business Generals Podcast, helping you maximize your startup business ideas, take control of your personal finances, and get the most out of your professional career.